episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected is brought to you by Bridgeside Medical Clinic, Chesapeake Integrated Behavioral Healthcare, and Edgar Casey's ARE. Now more than ever, we have an opportunity to be a positive force in the world, to help heal the divide, to treat each other and ourselves with respect. But with so many tools out there, from meditation to physical training, proper nutrition, therapy, and so many others, we all need a little help navigating all the options. Join us as we share in-depth information, insights, and thought-provoking discussions that will help answer your questions about how to stay calm, cool, and connected during these times. Welcome to Calm, Cool, and Connected, your guidebook to peace of mind. Hello, and welcome to Calm, Cool, and Connected. I'm your host, Dr. Elizabeth Bedrick. According to psychiatry.org, racial, ethnic, gender, and sexual minorities often suffer more from poor mental health outcomes due to multiple factors, including difficulties with accessing high-quality mental health care, cultural stigmas, discrimination, and often an overall lack of awareness around mental health. This ongoing issue truly requires not only increased awareness, but increased advocacy. Here with us today is Nina Sanyal, a licensed professional counselor who's here to talk with us about concerns with diversity in the mental health field, as well as ways that we can continue to address these concerns. Hi, Nina. Welcome. Hi. So nice to have you with us today. Before we jump in, let's talk a little bit about what is the work that you do in the mental health field? What is your role? So I'm a licensed associate counselor. Basically, I work with clients every single day, have them come into my office, and I take a very cognitive behavioral approach. Basically, I'm a big believer that our thoughts, our feelings, and our behaviors are all connected. And so I basically am the person who guides them through that to be able to figure out what exactly it is that they want out of their lives. Okay, very cool. And so I know for you, being passionate about diversity and mental health is is a big deal. You and I work in the same practice together and you and I have had lots of conversations around your passion for increasing that diversity and really advocating for that. Tell us about, just give us a little bit of a background from your perception of some of these concerns, some of the barriers in regard to diversity in the mental health field. Yeah, so diversity in the mental health field has always been something that has been a struggle. Mental health typically has never really been something that's been in the forefront with people of color. And there's many different reasons for that. In communities of color, mental health is definitely far more stigmatized. It's not something that's been taken as seriously. Um, And that is, you know, due to a multitude of different things. But ultimately, communities of color haven't really made mental health a priority. And that's not to put that on them or make it sound like it's their fault. It has a lot of, there's a lot of cultural context to that in general. And it's something that is being seen as more acceptable now, which is pretty cool. But it has taken a lot of time for us to get there. And so as a therapist of color, that is one of the things that I hope to be able to try to do throughout my career is like making mental health seem a little less stigmatized in these communities so that we can get more people of color in therapy offices and get them to be able to break down a lot of things like generational trauma. That's a big one that has not really been approached as much. Absolutely. And and you and I were talking before we started recording about even the this coming from both angles of this is not just about the client. This is also about mental health providers where diversity is also limited. So when you say you know, that we can include, including people of color in the therapy room, 
you're really referring to both the client and the therapist, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I Even as I was sort of like preparing for what I wanted to say here today, I reached out to a friend of mine and um, she's also a therapist and she's also a person of color. And we were kind of talking and I was like, hey, like, what do you think about this? Do you have anything specific that you, you know, want to contribute to this? And we were talking about it and I was thinking about it later and I was like, she's really the only therapist of color friend that I have. So she was like the only person that I could reach out to. And so we had a conversation about that. And she was kind of like that in and of itself is the problem. She was like, you only could reach out to me. So things like that. I'd love to see more color in these rooms um, so that we can have discussions like this. Even in my graduate program, it was like me and one other person. So it makes it more difficult to have conversations about what mental health looks like in communities of color when there isn't anyone from a community of color. Do you feel then an increased pressure or did you and your friend discuss an increased pressure around then educating the other providers in the office or, you know, providing that increased awareness or, or cultural competencies? Do you ever feel pressure around doing that due to feeling more of the minority in, in that crowd? Yeah, for sure. And I think it's that one's a hard one too, Liz, because it's like there's a delicate balance between it. I think I'm always open to trying to educate as much as I can. But I think especially I've definitely worked in environments where that has been taken advantage of in the sense where it's like, oh, you're the brown person. So you just deal with all the brown people stuff. And it's like, no, no, like that's not what cultural competency is about. It's like I'm willing to be that person that is part of that bridge to educate. But um it's like that is not only on people of color and therapists of color, but um, white therapists to sort yes. of help bridge that gap. Yeah, absolutely. To, to engage in their own educational process of that. And so what do you see being some of the barriers? Let's talk about even so when you're talking about you have, you know, one friend who, who you could reach out to who you felt like could relate. Mm-hmm. What are some of the barriers of minorities entering the mental health field as a provider? Yeah, I think the greatest barrier, honestly, is cost. And this one is a tricky one for, I think, I I don't know how much people typically know about the cost of entering the mental health field, but it it is an expensive field to enter into. Um, I think something that I've always heard is people always say to me, they're like, oh, well, it also costs a lot to be a doctor which is true. But when you are a doctor, you're guaranteed basically a six-figure paycheck after leaving schooling. Unfortunately, with mental health can be the case, but it might not be. You might leave the field or you might enter the field making like $40,000 a year. So when it comes to paying back the cost of the of schooling can be really, really difficult. Another major thing is um, with counseling and social work, I believe. Counseling, at least, was what my degree was in. So that's what I can speak to. But with our degrees, there is a required internship portion. And just an industry standard happens to be that that internship is mostly unpaid. There are a couple of paid internship opportunities, but for the most part, it is unpaid. And you're usually paying tuition during that year. So that is something that I know a lot of my friends and I had talked about at the time, because it is it's costly. You have to work an unpaid internship and then typically working a job on the side and all of those things put together can be really, really difficult. And especially from for people who are coming from more marginalized backgrounds, it's just tough. It's tough to get in. 
Yeah, yeah, those are really interesting insights. I I had not thought about it even from that perspective of the the paying back of the education, but you're right with the internship, which usually could last anywhere from six months to a year. And so to your point, that did not work during that time. That would be really difficult. You described when we were talking earlier about a lot of the counseling modalities being Eurocentric. What does that mean? Help, Help us understand that. Yeah, so our the field of counseling is it's cool because it's constantly evolving, right? And that's something that we talk about a lot. It's one of the greatest things about this field. It's also very new. It's only really been around for the last hundred-ish years, which is cool because we get to be a part of the process of it changing. However, when counseling started, it was very much it's very much like a white male field. It started with white men think about like the earliest so like freud jung all of these people there is a reason why i mean it's great because they're the ones who broke us into the idea that oh like mental health is something that needs to be considered however a lot of it evolves from white men who are honestly also typically upper class so when we take those theories that they created it comes from their perspectives as rich white men and then we try to apply those particular concepts to like poor people of color and including like marginalized people lgbt women things like that and so when you put all of that together some of those concepts some of those early concepts are just not applicable to it doesn't make sense their lives aren't led the same way so having to sort of take some of those modalities and basically work them around the context of people who need it today. Okay, sure. And so that, I mean, that's great insights, great point that these approaches where it's, we try to fit them one size fits all, but that is not, we are now, clients are so diverse and so many experiences and so unique. And so that completely makes sense. What would you say would be like maybe a takeaway or two for people listening of how not only increasing awareness, but also advocacy and really pushing for change. What are some things that we all could be doing? Well, I think first, just on a basic level, is advocating for more diversity in whatever field it is that you work in, regardless of whether you're working in mental health or something else, like advocate for voices of color in the rooms that you see and notice that when you walk into a room, do you see people of color? Do you see women? Do you see people from marginalized backgrounds? I think we very much have an idea that it's not something that stands out to you until you're the person of the color in the room. And so allies kind of looking around, making sure that voices of color are lifted up and that they have an opportunity to be heard and that they're given, I don't know, given a microphone, essentially. For sure. I love that. Where can our viewers find more about you? Website, social media, where can you be found? Yeah, you guys can follow me on Instagram. My handle is um, Talk Therapy with Nina. And I would love to have you guys give me a little follow and then that way we can stay connected. For sure. Yes, you put out great information. Thanks so much, Nina, for being here. Of course. Thank you, Liz. And thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected. Please make sure to find us on Facebook and Instagram, and also make sure to rate and subscribe to our podcast so that others can discover our content as well. Thank you again for joining us on this episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected.